Hello everyone, and welcome to the somewhat delayed 8th episode of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour podcast. My name is Stephen Palmer, and you might know me from being the co-host of the Asian Cinema Film Club podcast with Mr Elwood Jones, or maybe my writings for easternkicks.com, or maybe my own Asian cinema blog, guelloramblingswordpress.com, which of course is where this podcast gets its name. If you want to know more about who I am and how I got here, I suggest you go back and listen to the first episode and then come back when you're all up to speed. Or just stay and wing it. Either way, you are most welcome. Now last time we went to Germany and looked at two films starring the late Bruno Gantz. This time it's a trip to Russia and two films that are linked due to the oneric nature. The cinema of Russia is a story that is large and complicated as the nation itself. It sprung to prominence in the early days of pre-revolution Russia with films becoming an avenue for a nationalistic enterprise, with anti-Germanic themes being commonplace. Then, after the 1917 revolution, we have films such as Sergei Eisenstein's The Battleship Potemkin becoming works of art that actually moved the world of film forward. But then, post-1917, things also get more complicated. With the advent of the Soviet Union, the question of just what Russia is becomes difficult to disentangle from the content. The voices of Ukraine, of Georgia, of Lithuania, of others, become subsumed within a construct of something more than a nation. With the advent of Stalinism and onwards to the Cold War, then cinema in the Soviet Union is potentially limited by state controls and censorship. Local cinema becomes unable to criticise and examine society. It becomes a mechanism for propaganda and control. Moreover, this is an age where foreign cinema is not exposed to the Russian peoples to any great degree, meaning that outside of festivals, the language of cinema evolves somewhat differently. And then, in a post-perestroika, post-Glasnost era, Russia becomes divested of its USSR partners, and takes a more fulsome role in the international commercial cinematic world. We have crowd-pleasing blockbusters lining up against more introspective works. Although, to be honest, the yoke of centralised control is still not removed. Today I'm going to talk about two films. First, Mirror, a film by the giant of the Soviet era, Andrei Tarkovsky. And then I'll move on to Alexander Sokharov's Russian Ark. It's nigh on impossible to have any sort of discussion about Russian cinema and not consider the work of Andrei Tarkovsky. He actually only made seven full feature films in just short of 25 years and only five of these were made within the borders of the Soviet Union. Not content with being a director, Tarkovsky was also a noted critic and film theorist and to be honest, an in-depth discussion of his oeuvre is well beyond my limited capacity. However, he is probably the single most important voice in Soviet cinema, and Mirror is a film which I'd like to bring to your attention. So, what is this film about? Hmm, well, at its core, it seems to be the memories of a dying man who looks back on the lives of his family members during the events that have befallen 20th century Russia. 
though you'll see many people who would give potentially different and probably richer commentary on this. If anything, it's more like a poem than a story, which is quite apt as his father's own poetry is often narrated during the film's 106 minutes. The film is non-linear, not just in terms of how it flows through time, but also its cinematography. It often leaves colour stock behind to slip into moments of black and white, or sometimes sepia tone, and even found footage newsreel. Actors sometimes play multiple roles, and the film even brings this to our attention via dialogue. Yes, my friends, this is the very definition of an art house movie. Except, that seems to be damning it with undeserved and a critical label. Mirror is much, much more than a set of random events loosely held together by themes. I feel it is a film that, much like its title, reflects whatever the viewer decides to put into it. Maybe you'll be like me and enjoy the voyeuristic opportunity to peer into the lives of others. Maybe you'll enjoy the way Tarkovsky plays with time, one of his common themes throughout his films. Within a shot, he is able to push one character 50 or 60 years into their future. Or were we only ever looking at them in their past? The film as a whole plays out with an oniric quality. These are dreamlike, these are memories, not tied necessarily to a time frame, but in that non-linear way dreams sometimes do unfold. They are parts of a whole, but putting them back together... Now that's the puzzle. I'm not going to lie. Mirror is a film I enjoy technically, and one that I could probably spend hours going over each scene trying to eke out meaning. And if that is something that you would enjoy to do, I assure you that you would be rewarded for those efforts. But if that sounds like simply something that's just too much work, understand that at its most basic level, Mirror is an example of how cinema isn't necessarily contained or constrained to three acts, how internal logic and the rules of screenwriting don't have to be rigid tent poles on which we create our art. There is room in this world to look at things differently. I chose Alexander Sokurov's Russian Ark as a companion to Mirror because for me it has that oniric quality with a dreamlike walk through the past and also a nod to Russian history. But whilst Mirror is at pains to detach itself from concepts such as linear time, logic and even what film stock it is using, Russian Ark goes a completely different way. It does it all in one astounding 96-minute take, and it takes on the entirety of Russian history, whilst also limiting itself to one physical location. Like Mirror, Russian Ark takes us on a journey with an unseen narrator, although this time we are accompanied by a character who is only called the European, who seems to be the Marquis de Christine a 19th century travel writer whose book, La Rassée on 1839, 
painted a picture of Russia under the reign of Tsar Nicholas I. The film takes place entirely within the walls of the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg. Now, the Winter Palace was the official residence of Russian royalty from the 1730s up until the 1917 revolution, and this is the fourth such building to hold this title. Now, it is known as the Hermitage Museum, and is the home to one of the biggest arts and culture collections in the world. And therefore, as a great collection of history and culture, and not just of Russian artefacts, it must be noted, then the museum is like the Great Ark of Noah, carrying within its walls the history of the Russian nation and its peoples. And so, the three of us go on a journey, the European, the narrator, and us, the viewer, looking at various artefacts. On occasion, we interact with others. Sometimes these are people who are also here in the museum with us. And sometimes it's clear we've slipped through time and we're seeing real-life events contemporaneously. So we meet Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, Nicholas I, the children of the tragic Nicholas II. But it isn't all just royalty. We meet the museum's director during the Stalinist era, struggling to keep the building afloat, and sometime, someone later on trying to keep themselves alive within the building during the siege of Leningrad during the Second World War. We see the glory and we see the poverty. We see a country that sometimes struggles to understand just what it is. Is it European? Is it Asian? Is it a country too big to have its own identity? Have those in charge been so taken with other cultures and other countries that they have occasionally forgotten what it actually means to be Russian? In fact, my biggest regret on watching this film is that I simply don't know enough about Russian history, certainly anything pre-20th century. However, there were just enough touch points for me to grasp most of the events and historically relevant people we meet on the journey. And you know, well, Google is your friend. As a piece of narrative, well, Russian Ark doesn't really work for an outsider unless you're a dedicated follower of history. But it is entertaining. However, the elephant in this room is what a marvel it is technically. It really is all done in a single shot. But this isn't like older films such as Hitchcock's Rope that use various tricks to maintain the illusion of a continuous shot. And it certainly doesn't restrict itself in terms of locations or numbers of actors. Sure, it's pretty clear when we're taken on little detours so that bigger things can be set up behind us. But on several occasions the car swells to the hundreds and the sheer management and choreography involved simply makes the mind boggle. If you're impressed by those extended opening scenes in Wells' Touch of Evil or Altman's The Player, then you're going to be floored at what Sokurov achieves in ten times the length with ten times the amount of moving parts and plates to spin. Russian Ark might not be subject matter that appeals to many, but in terms of its scope, its technical achievements and its commitment to those principles, again, just like Mirror, it shows us what cinema is capable of. So there we have it, two Russian films that I think are worthy of your time. Both have an oniric dreamlike quality that some might find hard to decipher. But I believe both are very worthy of your time.
I'll certainly be revisiting Russia on this cinematic journey and probably choose things that are a little more straightforward in the future. But I felt the opportunity to look at these films together was too much of an opportunity to turn down. You should now be able to find the page for the podcast on Facebook. Just search for Guelo Ramblings World Tour or look in the episode description. If you want to contact the show, give feedback or maybe tell me about your favourite Russian films or suggest something for a future episode, feel free to contact me there or via email on thingsfallapart at hotmail.co.uk And please feel free to give me a review, share episodes with people you think might like this and so on. I'm not here for large numbers of subscribers, but I do like to know I am not just talking to myself. There is also the second of my special episodes out by the time this gets published, where I take on all 21 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films so far. And next time, well, we'll have a slight change to the format, as I'll be taking in two different countries and take a look at a couple of surrealist fairy tales. Until then, it's Privet, Spasibo, Ido Svidiana. <laughs>